Hey everyone, and welcome to the Detoxicity Podcast. My name is Mike Joseph, and I host and produce this show that you're listening to. The goal of this podcast, or I should say the primary goal, a goal is to promote healthy masculinity through the sharing of life experiences. I hope that you and yours are safe and healthy, and I, of course, also hope that you're enjoying what you're hearing. Hopefully, you'll rate, comment, and subscribe via whichever platform you're using to listen. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or you would like to submit a guest or be a guest yourself, feel free to reach out to me on social media. I am on Instagram at DetoxPodGuy, and I'm also on Twitter at TizMikeJoseph. You can also email me at DetoxPod at gmail.com. I hope you enjoy this episode. Logan Nielsen is the co-host and producer of The Josh Johnson Show, a podcast you can hear just about anywhere. Logan also hosts a podcast with his brothers called Guess What? The Nielsen Brothers Podcast. He is also a stand-up comedian and a writer and a substitute teacher. Like many of our guests, Logan wears many hats and he talks about every single one of them over the course of our episode. Logan gave me a ton of material to work with over the course of the hour that we spoke. From sustaining a traumatic head injury as a teenager to being a divorcee by the time he was 30. We talk about his current life in Iowa. We talk about becoming podcast famous, something I am still, I guess, aspiring to. I don't know. And the things that have led him to living in the moment and not putting off personal gratification until some unknown time in the future, which is something that I personally believe in very, very, very strongly. This conversation definitely exceeded my expectations, and I am happy to bring it to you. Here's Logan Nielsen. Uh, well, my name is Logan Nielsen. I am a uh, stand-up comedian out of, well, Iowa now. I was out of Chicago for a long time and then moved back to Iowa. Uh, and then a pandemic hit, so I was like, well, I guess I'll stay here now. But I'm also a podcaster. I'm a, a producer and co-host of The Josh Johnson Show. That's kind of the, the big one we got working right now. And that's about it. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here, Logan. So you are based in Iowa currently. You were born there? Yeah, I'm from Iowa originally. Yeah. Wow. So I've only met one other person from Iowa in my entire life. <laughs> we don't leave much. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I actually have a relative, my cousin moved to Iowa over the summer. Oh, really? Last year. Yes. She was Where a at? COVID, COVID move. COVID she's, move? she's near Des Moines. I don't remember exactly okay. what town she's in, but I would imagine she's one of very few black people in Iowa. You know, we there's kind of a myth that we we don't have a lot of diversity. There there is a bit, but it's just we have really you know we're not great about it. It's a pretty uh, white bread area, <laughs> so I don't know. I know yeah. our, our well last year when all the stats were coming out places like uh, we didn't have great ones. We did. <laughs> yeah, I just I like I've never been to Iowa. My buddy yeah. Pat who lives in Iowa, I great guy, but is very Caucasian. Right. So I my impression of Iowa is just kind of cornfields and white people. Well, you're not wrong. I'll tell you that right now. Cornfields and white people is about right. Well, what's interesting, too, is growing up in Iowa, I always actually really felt like it was a pretty progressive place. But then in the last, you know, six years or whatever, we've gone the other way, which is like, you know, the Midwest usually does get stuff late. We, we even got racism kind of late. We even, you know... <laughs> <laughs> we're we're kind of just now deciding to get to that but it's it's we it's we've weirdly gone this you know this other way now that has been really surprising to me and then especially being back seeing some of it has been a kind of jarring you know especially the last year particularly with sure. you know everything that's happened you know whether it was covid or whether it was george floyd whether it was all those things and then seeing like sitting around being like these were all the people who 
we're always like, oh, you got to love your neighbor and you got, and then suddenly it's like, I will not wear a mask. I will cough in your mouth. And it's like, okay, like, why are you so angry about this? What does it get you? I, I don't, I don't understand. So anyway, I don't need to go off on a <laughs> hard rant immediately, but no, uh, I'm, I'm here for the rant. It, <laughs> I like, here. You're not wrong. It is uh, a lot of cornfields, which is weird why our COVID numbers were so bad. Cause you think uh, we got plenty of space between us. We shouldn't yeah. have been uh, so bad, but yeah, my assumption was that Iowans were pretty spread out. Like it's not New York City where we're all like living in one building. Exactly. We are. We're really spread out. But I don't know. For some reason, once COVID hit, we're like, ah, let's drive to the middle and kiss. Like, I don't know why <laughs> that was why we decided to do it. I think that there's a, and I remember having this point of view when I was a kid too, growing up in Iowa. There's a, like a perception here that the news happens other places. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, the, that's a thing that won't get here. That happens somewhere else. And I think a lot of people have held on to that belief in the Midwest. Just like, well, COVID's not really here. That happens because everyone too is like, oh, New York, that's where it's at. And it's like, you know, and I was just in New York for, for to open for a friend as he recorded a special. Right. And I will say like that special, which was, you know, people indoors, that was the safest thing I've done all year because there was COVID compliance officers. And everyone's like, oh, New York, though, that's where that's where the disease is. I'm like, no, that's where they're managing it because <laughs> they it's believe true. it's a real thing that they have to deal with, you know? Yes, sir. But out here, we're just like, mm, no, nah, it's not really a thing. You know, it's it's strange. And especially weird because my, my girlfriend is, uh, she's actually an ICU nurse and has been working, you know, in the front lines all, all year at it. And, and seeing people who will act, well, who will get on her Facebook just to argue with her about the validity of COVID, saying it's not a real thing. And she's like, I just had three patients die today. Jesus. And that's not enough proof for them, you know? So I, I don't know. And I know that's a larger issue than just Midwesternness. That's Absolutely. the issue just kind of in our country right now and you know the world at large to not just happening here uh, but this i don't know this this out of this urge to put our fingers in our ears and go no 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 nothing's changing nothing's new no 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 <laughs> like right. i don't know i don't know why that's where we've gone <laughs> i think i think there are many reasons i feel like some people might just be so afraid of change and it's happening so fast that some yeah. folks don't know what to do other than just shove their feet in the sand and be like, I am going to die on this hill. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, I, we never used to get this much news this fast. And I think the human brain has not caught up to that yet because it used to be you'd get your news by some guy would ride to your town on a horse uh, once every three months and he'd tell you who the president was. And then, <laughs> and then he'd leave and you'd be like, hmm. I'm going to assume nothing will change for the next few months till he comes back. You know, you used to be able to just uh, live in the moment a little easier. Now we, we can't really, the moment is, is constantly dragging you into a new thing. Like I, this morning, this, again, this isn't a funny topic or by any means, but I, I was just on, I was just looking at the news and then saw a thing about a, a shooting. I had missed a, another mass shooting. And I just had, I, and this was literally this morning. I just remember like, man, remember when mass shootings used to be like the one story that was and now it's like now i'm just like oh this one was two days ago and i missed it you're confusing I was, mass yeah, shootings yeah exactly because there's too many yeah and it's like we used to not be able to, one i mean those just are also more frequent but you just did that used to be one story there used to be a story for like the week right you know like there used to be that but then now it's like oh no there's a new every massive, 10 hours it's, yeah. it's something different I know, I don't know how, like, you know, because I'm a comedian, I don't know how political comedians do it now because you cannot keep a joke. You used to be able to do, 
you know, one joke about like people who used to do jokes about like Bill Clinton or whatever. That was a, you know, you know, especially the Monica Lewinsky thing. You could do that joke for a while. That was a fun story for the whole year. You know, mm-hmm. you could just keep doing the joke about that. Now it's like, good Lord, you have to, you have to burn a joke every five minutes if you want to stay a relevant topical comedian. For real. So what got you into comedy in the first place when you were a little boy and I, presuming you were a little boy in Iowa and the comedy mm-hmm. light came on, where, where did that come from? Um, it was just that I remember just being a little kid and it was first it was an obsession with like movies and cartoons of just like someone makes these like someone someone does this you know had an early obsession with like Robin Williams would see him on like late night shows I'm just like this this man is professionally silly and I'm like that's that's something I want I want to see that so I, I I remember it was seeing my my parents really got me into it too they showed me there was an old special by a comedian named Bob Nelson from the 90s um, and he was like kind of a, a cleaner comic there's some stuff in it now looking back I'm like oh there's some deeply problematic things in it now uh, but but he had this special where it was stand-up but he was also he was doing quick change stuff between like this set it was like a like a theater set and you'd go in and outdoors and be different characters and it was an hour-long special and I just was obsessed with it as a kid and then they showed me as I got a little older a special one of the young comedian specials I don't know if you heard of those they used to do them on HBO uh-uh. But they would do the young comedian specials, mostly in the like 80s. And I think maybe in the early 90s, they did some. But it would be like all of like the big up and comers in stand up and they'd have them all in one show. And so there was one that Bob Nelson was on, but also had like Sam Kinison on it and Bob Saget and Louis Anderson and like all these people who went on to be quite famous. It was hosted by Rodney Dangerfield, you know. And then I just started imagining being one. I had no idea what being a stand up comedian meant. I just was obsessed with it. I mean, I have pictures from like first grade where I drew myself on a stage holding a microphone. I didn't know what it meant, but wow. I'm just like, I want to, yeah, I want to do that. And then just what led me to it finally, I did it a little bit at the end of high school and in college, just a few times, but I never felt great at it. And then when I was 24, 25, I actually got divorced. I married my high school girlfriend. We got married in high school and we ended up getting divorced. And the first thing I did when we had the conversation about getting divorced the next day, I woke up, talked to a couple friends on the phone, and then just instinctually, I wrote, I got my computer out and I typed five pages, 10 point font, single space of jokes about divorce. And it just made me go, yeah, yeah. Five five pages, single space. Yes, yeah, most of it wasn't usable, but I just started, it was was the only way I, I, for some reason, it was the only way I could process it was just to starting to write jokes about it, about what I was feeling, about the situation, about what I was worried about in the future, was putting it in joke form. And I literally was just like, oh, I'm I'm going to try this now because the plan I had is gone now. Right now, I'm going to try this. And that's what kind of then led me to, like, do stand up for real. But but when I was younger, it was my my parents were very encouraging of it. You know, my, my dad, I remember when I was in maybe middle school, so my dad sat me down. He's like, oh, this is George Carlin. You like this guy, you know, <laughs> that's awesome. He showed me Carlin. He showed me Richard Pryor. My dad's still with us. I was going to say like was, and I, I didn't want the, the, the past. Don't let tech. the universe. I didn't want the past tense to get confusing. Uh, sure. Because he, because just because I was going to say he used to love Letterman it's because Letterman's not on the air anymore. Right. right. <laughs> but my dad, my dad watched Letterman every single night. So I would watch Letterman with my dad. And that was like the one thing my dad every night had to watch Letterman. It was his favorite thing. So I grew up watching Letterman, who's, you know, a genius and, you know, changed that format and everything. So it's like, I don't know, the, just my parents were weird comedy fans weirdly you know just i don't know (laughs) yeah i can't imagine i remember being like seven eight years old and being allowed to stay up and watch snl yeah i can't imagine most 
most kids existence is like that i mean when you're seven or eight years old you're supposed to be in bed by like nine o'clock or whatever i know right so yeah. being up at 12 30 one in the morning feels a little you know uh, yeah well and they i remember too they used to when i was a kid i don't know if they if this was the nbc as a whole or if it was like a regional thing but they used to then play the new episode of snl and then after that they'd play an old episode of snl we got oh like, see okay we got like showtime at the apollo after snl oh, okay well <laughs> I, well, I remember that happened sometimes too, Showtime at the Apollo, which that was also good too. That was a whole comedy world that I didn't get to see, obviously, in small town white. Right. Iowa. Yes. <laughs> Steve Apollo. Harvey was not hanging out in small town no, Iowa. No, no, no. He didn't he didn't come through whatever crackers or whatever the hell club a lot. But but yeah, I used to watch that. So it was like I got to see like the new episode of SNL because I was just obsessed with sketch comedy and stuff too. And then would see these old episodes. And then also like, man, we got spoiled too, because Comedy Central used to just play SNL all day. You just play SNL all day and then they just play stand up all night. That's what that used to be. Right. You know, and it was so you could just watch just decades worth, you know. So it's like I would be the one kid in school knowing references to like 80s, you know, sketch comedy and like 70s comedy. And everyone's like, we don't know what the hell you're talking about, you know. <laughs> but I was a weird kid too. My favorite show when I was a child was Mystery Science Theater 3000. And no other kid. Weird, though? I, I think just because. Not really, too, because they, you know, they're from Minnesota, too. So it was made in the Midwest. But I think just I was really young and my friends could barely have the attention span to watch the hour and a half episode, you know, because they would do they'd watch a whole movie. Right. But that I was obsessed with that. And that was one, too, where a lot of the jokes I didn't get. But it made me want to, like, look it up or figure out what the references are. Ask somebody, who's this guy they were talking about? And then look him up and be like, oh, that does look like that guy that they were doing, you know. And that really crafted my sense of humor because they were a mix of like, here's like a deep literary reference. And also here's a fart joke. And I'm like, right. you know what? That's what comedy should be. It should be a balance of those two things. <laughs> I am with you there. I actually was watching you on a podcast earlier today. And oh, really? you sang something about Mystery Science Theater 3000. If I had to pick something that made my sense of humor, it would be that show. It would be that show that like made what I find funny, my sense of timing, all that stuff comes from mystery science theater 3000 gotcha yeah which i mean msg3k is fantastic so and, oh yeah you know it's cool to be i say this in a positive fashion it's cool to be a nerd now in a way that it wasn't in the 90s or the right 80s. so yeah that's the thing it that's what's interesting is i don't think there's really such a thing as underground alt comedy anymore because kind of everything's underground and alt now because everything's so splintered yeah. And stuff like that. So it's hard to know. And like, you know, MST3K, then they were on Netflix and now they're trying to come back again and do another Kickstarter. And it's it's like, I, I don't I don't know what's niche anymore. I don't I have no idea. They're really every, everything and nothing. I, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think yeah. you're absolutely right. It's like when I talk to people younger than me and I try to explain things like Michael Jackson or Eddie Murphy or, you know, I don't know, Whitney Houston or, or you know, the Cosby yeah. show or whatever. And it's like, these things were all consuming. Like there right. wasn't any, there, you know, it was complete monoculture. There is nothing that even vaguely sort of qualifies as a monoculture kind of thing anymore. Right, yeah. Because even like hit songs are kind of gone in a minute. It's very rare yeah. that one really strikes a chord anymore when it's like you used to just have on the radio was i don't hear the popular songs right now right <laughs> right yeah you know you're gonna hear the thong song on every station for the exactly. next you know? <laughs> yeah yeah it was interesting this is 
semi-related, but I, I, I'm a substitute teacher too right now. And we did a fun day when, and there was like a trivia thing we were doing and it was with these middle school kids. And uh, one of the questions for the trivia challenge they were doing is what band was Justin Timberlake in before he went solo? And one of the kids just looked at me and he goes, this is like some really old music, right? And, I was oh. like, and I'm like, I know time marches on. I get it, but ouch. I'm not ready for that. See, <laughs> yeah, I know I was. Because NSYNC was like five years ago. I know, right? That's how it feels, right? They were they just happened. When I realized then, oh, NSYNC was around when I was his age. I was in sixth grade, like when, you know, they were blowing up or whatever. Right. And it's like, yeah, that feels like a lifetime ago. Oh, that's them. so fucking scary. <laughs> I know, right? I've had a handful of, of comics on the show before. Mm-hmm. And one thing that always interests me is... People that are like, okay, I'll just go out on stage and tell jokes in front of a bunch of random people, and it does not affect me in the least bit. <laughs> How do you get to that? That's a good question. I mean, for me, what were helps you was... ever actually? Were you ever not that? Were you ever shy or withdrawn or anything like that? Not really. I mean, I'm I'm both ends of the spectrum because I'm I'm shy in that I. I, I'm kind of an introvert where I like to be at home a lot. I'm not always comfortable when I'm in like big groups of people all the time. I can be, but not always. Crowds make me nervous sometimes, you know. Generally, though, I've never been afraid of public speaking, though. That was the big thing. Even as a kid, it was just like, hey, could you want to read this for the class? Yeah, you know, I'll do it. I always volunteered to do presentations first because in my mind as a kid, too, I'm just like, oh, they're more lenient on the first guy. The first, <laughs> you know. If you're, if you're, if even as a little kid, I'm just like, no, if you go last, you're like, you should have it figured out by that. If you go right. first though, ah, you're kind of diving on the grenade. Like, you know, so that was always my motivation was more just like, oh, I just want to, I just want to do it. I just want to get over with. But then I always was always doing plays and stuff like that. So I don't know. I've just never been afraid of public speaking. So that was the, the biggest help, obviously, it was just like getting out there and doing stand-up that's the biggest thing if you're if you're afraid to speak in front of people I, i'm always amazed the comics who say like they have horrible stage fright and then they do it and they're good comics i man i don't understand how they do it and it <laughs> it blows my mind and uh, uh, that blows me away because to me i'm just like oh that if, if i was i don't know if I, if I had stage fright i don't think i'd be able to do it you know so i i don't know i just got lucky in that respect i guess but and it's not only that you have to stand in front of people that you don't know you have to make them laugh which is yes. like a whole another step up. Yeah, you know, and and that can be tricky because at a, at a at a point we all humans all understand jokes. We all understand the joke format. You can get a laugh based on timing alone because we all know the rhythm of a joke. We all naturally know like da 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 da. Like we all kind of know that inherently. The challenge I found as I've been in it longer is where you start getting more personal. You have maybe deeper topics you want to get into and whatever. And then it's also making sure you're staying present because I would sometimes have get in the habit of kind of going too scripted. I'm like, oh, I just know these jokes. I'll just kind of rattle them off. And then I'll be like, oh, they don't care. Oh, it's because I don't care. Mm. <laughs> you know, so it's it's that active thing too of trying to stay in the moment, which helps like I've, I have an improv background too. So that's helpful because you do just have to stay there. But I try my best just to make each audience I, this is about to sound so pretentious. I want to I make every audience, you know, feel special. I want to make the, it's, I want each show to be unique, but it's more for me to make myself stay in the moment. So I always, I open every set I can with something that's happening in the room right then. Okay. Just to be, just to be like, Hey, I'm here with you, you know, and then I'll do my jokes. That's stuff I've rehearsed. It's jokes. I know 
you know, but I always want to be like, yes, I'm seeing something that's happening in the room. This is a weird thing that happened over here. Isn't this sign goofy? Isn't whatever. And because it, it makes the audience go, oh, okay, he's here with us. He's not just spouting jokes at us. He's right. He's not us. reading off a script. He's yeah. Yeah. Cause my worst sets ever when I've just gone up and been like, eh, this one's not going to be great. I'll just do the script. And then I realize they hate it. And it's like, oh, it's because I'm up here hating it. <laughs> sure. I get that. <laughs> that translates. <laughs> right. Right. Have, has there ever been a point? There's got to be points when you've gone on stage and you've told a joke and you've been like, oh shit, probably shouldn't have done that. I don't know if I've ever like, cause I usually really think about that a lot with jokes. Like I've done ones where I'm just like, oh, it turns out that's a, just a very bad joke. Uh, <laughs> what do you do after D or do you just like jump really fast to the next joke or acknowledge uh, that you told a bad joke? Or... <laughs> it depends on the situation. Like, cause usually you're testing those out at mics or whatever. If it's like, an okay vibe in the room I'll be like mm, that one was bad I agree you know I've, I've just said that I'm just like yeah you guys are right that one or yeah sometimes it's just like moving on okay I've, I've done it before too but I'll let a joke hang there and it won't get anything I'll show okay end of joke one and then just kind of I'll just be like that's the period on that one I'm moving on we all hated it let's just get past it but I mean I've had things more off the cuff that I've maybe said that the audience went like mm too like you know nothing nothing too like i didn't just like spout a slur or anything sure. but like you, you know you, you didn't michael richards anybody no 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 i didn't i didn't do that at all but like <laughs> I, where'd you you'll say a thing and then afterwards i realized oh that was maybe taken in the wrong context you know and then realizing it but i don't realize it till afterwards till i'm off stage i'm just like why did that get weird there i'm like well i said this thing oh that sounds like this <laughs> <laughs> like, got it like i'll give you one example i did one i did a show and i was talking about my divorce pretty early on and I can't remember, I had a riff that led into something else. And I can't, the specific line, I don't remember I got there, but I said like something involved it. She said like, oh, this is paperwork that says we can't talk anymore. And I just meant it as like, oh, this is the legal separation of us. But then I realized, oh, that sounds like a restraining order. And I did not mean that at all. We, cause we just, we split and we were, once we were divorced, like we were like, we were just done with each other. Right. But I, I'm like there, I made it sound like, <laughs> like litigation had to happen right. and it didn't it was actually a pretty breezy divorce <laughs> and I was like oh no I'm like that totally changes the character of who I was in those stories by just the slip of that line when I didn't mean it that way right <laughs> you know right how, how much of that is interpretation of the listener versus like maybe you needing to have reworded or contextualized uh the joke Right. Yeah. Well, some of this too, is I overthink myself. If it starts going weird, I find every reason why, why did they not like me? <laughs> Are you thinking Which, about that in the moment? Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes I'll like, you'll be in your head and I'll just be like, this is not going well, you know, Aww. or something. And usually I know why you can usually point out and be like, oh, this is just a weird vibe tonight. Or, you know, and sometimes too, I just have to let it go. And I just go, you know what? They just didn't like me. They didn't, you know, they didn't find me funny. That, that's fine. You're not going to connect with everyone hundred percent of the time. You know, they, like when you meet new people, a lot of times you're just like, okay, I'm, I don't need to talk to this guy anymore. We don't see eye to eye. Well, that can happen with a room full of people sometimes too, you know, statistically. It's a frightening. Yes. It, it sure can be. It's, it was the biggest lesson I had where it was just realizing, like, I, I remember I had like, I went through some personal stuff a few years ago that was really rough. And I kind of took a break from comedy for a little bit and then came back. And it was you know, a little rough again, but then like had some really great sets. I'm like, okay, good. I do remember how to do this, which I had recently too, not being on stage for a year. And then finally doing my first live show. I was being like, okay, I do remember how to do comedy it's, in it's front like of people. It's like riding a bike. A little bit, but then also having 
where I started feeling kind of invincible again and then having like one of the worst bombs in my career. And this is like two years ago, like one of the absolute worst bombs. Literally during my set, uh, a guy just said, you suck. And I said, I said, oh, I suck. And he goes a little bit. And then I didn't say anything back because in my mind, I'm just like, well, he's not wrong. Oh, <laughs> and it was fine. And then I finished the set and then uh, he followed me outside. He's like, I was just trying to help, man. I was just like, that's fine. I'm like, you weren't helping. And he kept going. And I literally got to the point where I just said, I need you to walk away from me right now. And then I walked to the end of the parking lot and then no lie, about a hundred feet in front of me, a skunk crossed the street. <laughs> As if the universe was saying, like, yeah, now you should feel bad about that one. You didn't do good. Holy shit. But that was just a couple of years ago. And so I just kind of created this mantra in my head of, like, you're never done killing. You're never done bombing. You know, you're never, you're like, you'll never forget how to do this. But if you get complacent, you will bomb. No matter sure. how long you've been doing this, no matter how invincible you feel, you can still eat shit. <laughs> I mean, that's a good way to keep perspective, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then I just started, anytime I had a bad set, I, I started making it because I used to just beat myself up and be like, man, maybe I'm not funny. I'm not as good as I want to be. I'm not as clever. I'm not. Blah, blah. And then I just started, instead, I started reshaping that thinking into, okay, what can I do better? What could, what would make me, what would have made that set better? Sure. And, and that makes it more active. And that's just been, that's been like the last few years of my life. Cause I just, I, you know, had a had a really bad breakup and had a kind of a quasi nervous breakdown, if you will, and started doing therapy. So I had to like kind of reshape my thinking about life, like just about everything, about career, about myself, and totally reframe how I think about myself and just my day to day life, not even just my you know craft or my art, if you will. <laughs> I hate calling it art, but <laughs> comedy is my. I mean, it is. Yeah, it is, but it's also dick jokes. So it's like you know how. <laughs> Dick jokes can be art, Logan. I know it's everything can be art. Nothing can be art. It's that <laughs> right. same thing of like, you know, everything's niche. Nothing's niche. It's kind right. of the same, same right. idea. I was, you know, before that last uh, section of our conversation, I was yeah. going to say, you know, you seem pretty well adjusted because most comedians, <laughs> most comedians, the, 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 how do you say it? the trope is that so much of comedy comes from a dark place and i was like oh logan you know grew up pretty okay <laughs> seems like a pretty breezy dude and then you're like divorce slash sort of yeah. breakdown slash therapy <laughs> so i was because this podcast uh, sort of in, encompasses a lot of that stuff that's kind of um, why i dropped it there out of the right. blue i'm like you know what? we'll get into this on this show we'll go yeah <laughs> like i mean what was what was that experience like? And obviously you don't have to go into great detail if you no, don't yeah. want to, but I mean, A, the marrying, getting divorced at 24 thing kind of like. Right, no, I know. Cause that, I'm like that... at 24, you don't even know how to wash your ass properly. No, nah, I know, I know. <laughs> I It's 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 not a regret. I don't want to say I, I regret it all. It's something though, cause a little bit, especially in the Midwest, there's a lot of like, well, you you partner up with someone, you go to college, you get your job, you have your family. Like there's still a lot of that kind of what the old timey American dream used to be. That's still kind of really pounded in our heads here a little bit. Cause I have it too, even with like some people who work at the school, they'll kind of tell kids like, well, when you go to college, you have to do this and you must listen to adults when they tell you things. And in my mind, I, like I kind of low key try to slip in just like, no, it's all, it's all bullshit. Just do this to get out, man. Just do this. <laughs> I just want to let them know that, especially too, I'm the sub there. I'm like, you guys know I have no real authority. Like, yeah, come seriously. on. Like, just, like, Talking to you as a friend here. Yeah. Uh, like, honestly, one of the things I say the most as a sub when I'm feeling up for classes, I'm like, guys, you got to just lie better because they'll try to like get away with something like, guys, you know, I'm not dumb. 
Like, I see what you're doing. You got to lie better, <laughs> which is, I know, not a great message maybe to send out, but, you know, got them critically thinking a little bit. There you, know? you go. But that was just something. And that's where I'd like, it, it always sounds crazier than it is. Like the story of, of getting married young. It's like, that's, that's the story. We got married young. And then once we got out of college, we realized our lives were going completely different paths. And we, we didn't want to reckon with that for a little bit, but like things weren't like crazy bad or anything like that. It's just, we started realizing, Oh, we're going different ways. She really wanted to stay in small town, Iowa. And I, I wasn't doing comedy yet then, but I, I was kind of lost in, cause I, I'd gone to film school and then right at the end of film school realized, Oh, I don't really want to work in the film industry actually. And was just kind of like, I don't know what I want to do. And then we actually moved back to Iowa. And then I got a couple jobs. I liked, I was running a high school theater department and I was working in a TV news station. I'm like, hey, these are adjacent, you know, sure. I'm kind of enjoying them. And I, I don't know, it, it became this just weird push pull of where we wanted lives to go. Suddenly, like, you know, the the line of when we wanted to maybe have kids was getting pushed closer and closer than what we agreed on. It's, it, it was no one's fault. We just kind of were going different paths. And so, you know, it was hard, like getting divorced isn't fun. And you put in your mind like, oh, I'm a divorced guy now. Right. Oh, you know, you there's got to be kind of like a I'm a failure or I failed at yeah. something aspect yeah. to it. It's because it's not just a breakup. Like it's it was it's a legal breakup. Right. Like there's you know, I have paperwork that says like, ah, you weren't a great husband. Like, you know, <laughs> like, you know, yeah, you guys weren't great at this. You guys sure did a bad relationship. <laughs> it was signed by lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> that you guys didn't do good at this you know oh geez you know and we were just we were young too like neither of us we didn't know how to be in relationships you know like we we're really each other's first like real serious relationship when you start dating it you know 18 you know sure. you know first real world relationship but like because college is where you learn how to date and we went into college being like well no we're partnered up and no no one else ever so that was weird, like getting divorced at 25, being like, great, I have to learn how to date now. And also on dates, be like, by the way, I've been married before. <laughs> yeah, I know I'm not that old. I understand. No, I don't have kids. This is fun. I have a dog, though. That can't. <laughs> I was. I used to do that joke. I'd say, like, I have a dog from the marriage. Obviously, we bought one. You can't have one. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, so that was that was just an interesting step where it was it was also it was kind of freeing, though, too, because it made me just kind of worry about myself for the first time in my 20s. because I really hadn't. Sure. And it was kind of that moment of like, oh, I'm going to go pursue things for me and do comedy and start having success and start working right away, which was great, too. But then I kind of stopped pushing myself at a point. And then, yeah, and then I fell in love with somebody else. And we that breakup was bad. That had a lot of toxicity from from both sides. Absolutely. I, I had lost my mind in it. There was a lot of lying, you know, from her end and stuff like that. I'm not trying to drag anything. I'm just these are just like the cliff facts notes, facts. you know, yeah. <laughs> cliff notes, facts of kind of what happened. Uh, and it was just a mess and it was drawn out for so long. And eventually then I just, I just kind of crumbled. My mind just broke and I really, you know, daily panic attacks and just like crying at work. I was working as actually at a dog daycare and I was, I was a dog walker, which means I would get to go leave and do, and in between dog walks, I would just sit in my car and like cry. And I remember, I remember one day <laughs> I had a new puppy I was walking and I went into their house and I just sat down for a second and started crying and the dog went and hid under the table. Holy shit. <laughs> and I was like, this new puppy's having so much thrown at it. It's just like, I'm in a new house. Who's this guy? He's broken. <laughs> right. Wow. <laughs> you know? But what really made me, you know, and I, I, my family's been supportive. They never really understood it. I forgot to mention too, I, I su uh, sustained a pretty severe head injury in high school, which kind of started. It was when I started dealing with depression. We can loop back to that if you want. But that's a funny story. Well, okay. 
it's a long story. I'll, I'll circle back to that. Okay. Uh, but, but that was kind of where I first started having depression was in high school. And then I, I, it was kind of unchecked my whole life. I never, and I did the, the, the bad comedy thing, the bad comedian thing, kind of what you alluded to is I went like, I don't need a therapy. Comedy's my therapy. Sure. Is what we all tell ourselves. And then we all break. We all <laughs> reach a point where we can't keep it together anymore. It's because there's a difference between, I, I tell young comics this, like there's a difference between talking about depression and then actually talking about depression. The difference between talking about it and dealing with it. Sure. You can go into a room and be like, man, I suffer from depression. Crazy, right? Sometimes I'm so sad, dot, dot, dot. You know, you can have your jokes about it. That's not dealing with it. That's just stating it. When you actually have to deal with it is when you have to go, why am I depressed? What has made me depressed? What am I carrying with me? And that usually comes from someone asking you questions. And that you don't want to do at a stand-up show because that's just all sorts of sad. If you have <laughs> an audience member just being like, but why is that? You know, It turns into something completely different from a comedy show. Yeah. But I had this moment where I was, I literally one day was walking a dog and I almost collapsed. I was just like, I was so out of it. And like my just my brain felt like it was just crushing itself. And I almost fell over. I had to like catch myself on a tree. And then I went to my boss. I'm like, I have to go home now. And luckily, my boss was very supportive and gave me time off. And my brother drove out from Iowa to Chicago that night. And then we got me into therapy and got me working on stuff. And it was it was a long journey. It was it was a, a lot of tough stuff. So like, I, I'm glad you say I seem well balanced. Now, this is the most well balanced I've ever felt in my life. You know, it's been a long journey. But the last couple of years, I've felt more in control and especially this last year which is weird to say because of everything that That's happened gone on yeah but it's it's a weird thing where it made me get rid of a lot of those pointless thoughts because i kind of went like oh there's big shit happening in the world i don't need to waste any more time stressing about this little thing that i always make myself feel bad about or whatever or like the biggest thing for me was where comedy stopped and i'm like well my career's kind of on hold and like it wasn't really my fault. It was, you know, so it's like, I'm like, well, the I world. I'm like, I can't be mad at me. I can't be mad at bookers. Like it's a thing happening. Yeah. And then it kind of made me go like, okay, what do I miss about comedy? But what do I not miss about comedy? What do I not miss about my old life? That, you know, these things I was doing where I was kind of just keeping myself in the same rut. And that's been like the one good thing in, in my, in my head in the past year would be like, oh, I don't need, to, I'm not going to worry about, you know, doing this type of thing for my career anymore because all it was doing was making me miserable, you know, just little stuff like that. So, so yeah, that's the cliff notes, I guess, journey of how I've gone from a, a, a broken mid twenties divorcee to a guy who's okay in his thirties. Right on. <laughs> I, were you brought up with the idea that therapy was even a thing? It was, you know, it was a thing, but the perception, especially in the nineties, people forget that too. There was a lot of stigma against therapy in the nineties. A whole lot of it. And before that too, but I just remember growing up in the nineties, it was always a joke of if you went to therapy, it's because you were crazy. It's because you couldn't handle your life. You were, oh, yeah. you know, it was always every movie or TV show that had someone in therapy. They were, they were always somebody of well means who was just being dramatic is what it always was. Cause rich people could afford therapy to go in and whine about their, their easy lives. That's what, that was the perception, very much the perception here and around here to mental health, like depression, anxiety, and stuff. It's a little better now, but for the longest time, like no one would talk about this stuff here. Depression was not a real thing. It was just buck up, just feel better. You're fine. Get out there, work the field or whatever. You know, I'm not right. a farmer, but that was, <laughs> it's a lot of it. And I, I kind of realized how much it's still here when, after I started 
going through therapy and stuff like that, I started doing material about depression, anxiety, about my nervous breakdowns. I'm like, it's what's going on in my life. I need to talk about it. And I would talk about it. And I would have people when I do Midwestern shows, like rural shows, I'd have people come up to me after shows and be like, and they would thank me for talking about it. They'd be like, thank you. They're like, I, I feel this. I would get messages from people. They're like, they're like, my, I've been suffering depre- from depression or I had some friends like email be like, hey, you know, what? my my wife has actually had really bad anxiety and her hearing you talk about the show, like really like made her feel better and all this stuff. And I'm just like, oh, it's still we're still so buttoned up here. <laughs> that was literally just me just being like, I suffer from really bad anxiety and saying that to a room made them feel better. And I'm like, there's some sort of power in that. I don't know what it is, but that's something kind of amazing that me just that someone else just being like, oh, you have it, too. Oh, thank God. Cause I think it's so easy to feel I, everywhere, but I think especially in like kind of a rural area like this, it's really easy to feel alone. Like you're the only one really dealing with those problems. Well, I don't know if I answered your original question. I'm sorry. You answered my original question. <laughs> okay. You did, totally. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. I know I'm, I'm kind of verbose and I've, I've had a lot of coffee this morning. So I, I, uh. I love be, be as verbose as you want to be. I can't do the coffee thing. Much. Oh, you can't. I, I drink coffee on occasion, but coffee yeah. kind of turns me into the Tasmanian devil. So oh, really? I try to, you know, temper that down a little bit. But here I am drinking a Coke Zero. So well, there, yeah, that's true. Whatever. You know, I guess I didn't even have that much. To, I think I'm I'm actually just I've been really energized all weekend just because this was like my first weekend in a few weeks. I didn't have to do anything. So I have been just I've been peppy all goddamn weekend. <laughs> like, like yesterday, I'm like I got nothing to do today, <laughs> and that it is, was great. <laughs> it's so funny to me how like a year of nothing to do happens i know right and then you're rolling back into things to do and you're like shit i kind of need a break from this doing I stuff know. thing well and and too in in iowa like i said i'm a substitute teacher we've been in person all year we've been oh, in person really? school yeah so i've been okay. working all year in the school um and especially the, the start of the year i was the only sub they had at the, the school which is actually my old high school believe it or not is where wow. i teach now so i right now i'm doing a long-term subbing position so i've been i'm filling in for the the rest of the school year and i've been doing it for a couple months now but it's, i i co-teach some classes and i do it with my old middle school teachers that's and trippy it's it's strange it's really weird seeing kids who are like who are bored and like having a hard time in the class that I'm like, I was sitting in that very seat also bored and having a hard time in this class. So I don't, I don't know what to say because <laughs> I wasn't right. engaged here either. It was funny too, when I first started subbing the, my old high school and realizing, well, it's also, cause now not only do I have my old, old high school teachers are there and stuff, but also old classmates of mine teach at the school. Now my brother's a teacher at the school. He's the art teacher. Wow. At our old high school and he's a coach there and my mom works the library she did when we were in high school too but she's worked the whole time so it's like my family is there uh, and now you know my my brother's kids are in the elementary and they're all the all three buildings middle school high school and, and elementary they're all connected in one big building so it's like i can see pretty much my whole family aside from my little brother at work you know which is strange but but you know so having this mix of you know classmates who work at the high school and then my old teachers and some of them too realizing how not old some of them are some of them were pretty young when they taught me in high school mm. which kind of pisses me off because then I realized I'm like I put so much stock in what you guys thought and now I realize you were 25 and I've been 25 and you don't know a fucking thing when you're 25 you don't know shit. you don't know anything and I'm like I put so much stock 
in what you told me, what you thought of me, what you thought the way the world should work. And you didn't know anything yet. Isn't that crazy? Have you actually confronted any of them with that information? And have they like apologized? No, not really. I mean, there's, there's one teacher who I, he, who I, I, I don't want to sound like simplistic or anything, but like kind of bullied me at the end of high school was really just actively mean to me whenever he could, because I, I, I quit something he coached. I quit it because I was bad at it. Like he didn't lose a great player, but it'd be weird too if he ends up listening to this. Uh, but <laughs> but we had but we but we had attention. So he's been a tough one where we get along and we've been fine. But I still hold that thing because that was such a formative thing for me of having like an authority figure at my school who I felt like actively didn't like me. Right. And like I wasn't a bad kid. In fact, I hated getting in trouble. I you know like I was joking and stuff, but I wasn't like class clown, class clown. You know. I, I wasn't anything like that. So it was weird to them being like, I'm like, you don't, you don't like me. <laughs> like, weird. I don't know what I did. I was like the first, the first taste of like, cause something I had to accept about myself when like, especially going into college and stuff like that. I know I'm a lot. I'm, I'm chatty, especially when I was younger. I was very argumentative, very opinionated <laughs> and started realizing like, Oh, some people just will not like me. And I had to kind of make myself swallow that pill I'm just like, oh, I'm not everyone's cup of tea. And that's fine, though. The people who I am their cup of tea, I have a very, very strong bond with. And they're, you know, we get along so well. And they're like my family. Not everyone's going to like me. <laughs> you know? Realize, the realization of that at a young age, though, I think is is super important. I, I don't think I realized mm. that until I was in my 30s. So to get I to was that just, point. I was just a lot when I was younger. <laughs> I mean, that's that's pretty self-aware, though. Yeah. Yeah. I just knew I was, I was opinionated. I really was. That's calmed down as I've gotten older. Cause now I'm at the point where I'm like, I don't see the point in arguing with someone I'm never going to see again. <laughs> you know? Sure. I'll be the one will say it today. And I'm like, I don't fully, unless it's like truly messed up, then I'll, I, you know, I'll counter them. But if it's like, Oh, they hated this movie for that reason. I'm like, Oh, I know. Right. And then I'll just kind of, you know, when I used so to, like, be I used to debate that. No, this is why this is a quality. You know, I yeah. used to be one of those nerds, but. Oh, yeah. Hey, look, I, I was a music critic for a number of years. And right, now yeah. it's kind of like, hey, if you like the Black Eyed Peas, that's cool. I, not my thing. <laughs> yeah. I might judge you in here, but yeah. it's not my place to tell you what brings you joy. Yeah, it was a big part of it then too. also realizing like, oh, there's some, you know, movies or TV shows I like that I know are not good. <laughs> but they bring me joy such as like, one of my honestly i would put it maybe one of my top 10 favorite movies is the movie deep blue sea with ll cool j and samuel yeah, L. jackson yeah, yeah yeah that movie is so stupid but god help me i love it i watched it so much when i was younger i i still love it i've watched it in recent years it makes me so happy it's such a stupid movie if you think about any of the logic in that movie for five seconds the whole thing just becomes this this russian nesting doll of illogical ideas because then it's like the sharks in the movie are the smartest things that have ever existed on the planet and it just it, it it's just it, 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 therein lies madness you just fall down <laughs> you fall down this well of trying to make sense of this movie and i'll but i'm like you know but i just i love it so much i love that movie nothing wrong with that yeah so we got to get back to the uh, the the head injury mm. thing i'll try not to make it sound so jokey but i do have this kind of like in the the story of it you know i try to not go into like joke mode when i'm just having a conversation with a human but <laughs> But so this was, this was my junior year of high school. 
and I, I, I played football in high school. Sadly, this injury happened after football practice in the locker room. So, okay. Yeah, I know that immediately makes everyone <laughs> feel very strange. We used to just horse around a lot. You know, we'd goof around in the showers. <laughs> this is where I tell we used to like throw soap on the floor and then we'd get on our bellies and race back and forth. Like that's how we were pretty, pretty open with each other, pretty comfortable group. I remember then going to college and telling people about some of the stuff like we used to do in our locker room and be like, everyone would just give me this like a gas look. Like I'd be like, oh, you didn't do stuff like that. <laughs> I got to say, but before you go for forward, with a lot of my my straight white friends, yeah, there is always like some, they'll tell me a story about doing something that is like the most gay adjacent. No, I know thing we're that is like <laughs> uh, but honestly, our like all the guys in our high school were were wildly homoerotic, and that's what's so strange. Then is how how buttoned down and you know, kind of you know try so hard to be you know militantly straight around here. And some of those guys I know have kind of become that way too. I'm like, no, nah, I, I know how we used to be. <laughs> right. Like, why why aren't we all just more comfortable with each other and our our bodies and our our curiosities? I guess I you know I don't know. It's but it, it's 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 interesting how we can almost have that when we're younger and then and it is a kind of a straight white guy thing. I think I don't know. I don't want to get into the psychology of it too much because I'm not a psychologist. But right. I don't know if then there's some sort of re rebellion against ourselves. Of like no, but I'm, I'm yeah, I, I, and, I don't, and again, there's the plan. You get married and you have the kids. I don't know what it is, but yeah, I mean, I think it's you know latency repression, kind of all that kind of for stuff sure mixed in there. You know? Yeah, but anyway, um, I, I no, that's okay. No, that's all right. Anytime I start the story, that's everyone's like, "What do you mean?" I'm like, I, "We were just, <laughs> we were just weird, okay." <laughs> We were just weird. There was, I don't know how graphic you want me to get. There was a guy who just had a big old hog and he used to slap people with it. You know, so it was just like. <laughs> I've heard stories like that before. I remember that because we had a drinking fountain in our bathroom. I was bending over getting a drink and I saw him come charging. And then I, I perked up and moved and I heard his dick in the wind go. <laughs> if your dick makes that sound. I know. I, you know. It, it was, uh, but anyway, 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 this is getting weird. But we, so we were horsed around, I guess. I don't remember the day because of the head injury sure so i don't i don't this is what was told to me and apparently then at one point just while we were showering like someone like threw like a football into the the locker room right so it became this kind of almost like i guess like dodgeball or whatever we're just kind of bouncing off the walls or whatever because it was a small locker room and then i think someone went, ran to get like a volleyball too because we were like the gym like storage was like just up the stairs or whatever someone ran to get that and i like turned like haha to like get away and then fresh out the shower have like towel on so i'm still kind of wet slip on the floor because it's a very slick floor and we found out later that actually they had the like the material to put on the floor to texturize it and they just had it sitting in a, a closet for like years and just never used it oh, yeah boy. yeah that became a, a point of contention after this uh, head injury happened but i i slipped landed on my head and knocked myself out clean and then actually i started shaking i had a, a pretty massive seizure seizure but all my friends saw me and my friends told me, they're like, we started laughing. So we thought you were doing a bit because I fell down and just kind of shook. And then then a, a large pool of blood formed around my head. Oh, God. And they were like, oh, this isn't a bit. OK. And so and all my friends, they're naked. Luckily, one of our friends had just come back down fully clothed. And they're like, go get anyone. 
<laughs> you know? Seriously, another an adult human. Go get an adult, please. Uh, and they go do that, and so they're getting help. And this is where you know, bless my friends. But they saw me there, and they're just like, "Well, he's nude. Maybe we should try to dress him." Which you shouldn't <laughs> do. You shouldn't move the body. You shouldn't try to do anything. But they tried to put my gym shorts on me, and they got both of my legs into one of the short pant legs, which just made my legs really push together. Which, not to be graphic, but kind of smashed my junk. And I know that because one of my few memories from the day is waking up in the ambulance and the lady above me, she's like, you had an accident. Are you okay? And I just said, my balls hurt was the only thing <laughs> was the only thing I said to her. Holy um, shit. But so then I woke up, here's the weirdest part. I woke up in the hospital. I come to, and I see my friends are standing around me. My parents are in the back. My coaches uh, are, are in the hallway, my football coaches. And I sit up and I ask my I'm like, what happened? And everyone kind of goes like, <sighs> and my friend, Randy, he goes, he goes, you had an accident. You're in the hospital right now. You had a severe concussion, whatever. And I was like, oh, okay. And I see the IV in my arm. And I was just trying to lighten the mood. And I was going, oh, hey, what's this? I just kind of like did a lame joke. And everyone in the room goes, <sighs> and I was like, okay, all right, fine. I'm like, be nice. I'm in a hospital. Why is everyone mad at me? I was just trying to lighten the mood. And then my little brother was there. He had had a, a football game that night, like a JV game. And I said, hey, did you win your game? And he goes, no, we lost. And I said, pussies. Like, I, I was, again, I was a small town boy in Iowa. But I say that, and everyone goes, just groans again. And I'm like, what is going on? Why is everyone mad at me? And my friend Randy goes, you've done that eight times. Whoa. Yeah, I would, I would wake up. I would ask what happened. I would make the joke about the IV in my arm and call my brother a pussy. And then <laughs> I would pass back out and my brain was just trying to restart and it was just going through the same cycle over and over and over again it was it was really interesting and then Whoa. yeah and so we i stayed in the hospital overnight and when they have you you know they have to wake you up every like hour i think because they can't let you sleep all night when you have a concussion like that and i had a pretty severe one we found out later i probably had some slight brain damage from it it was such a it was such a rough such a bad hit to the head but uh, so they'd wake me up in the middle of the night and we've i've talked about this on on the the podcast the josh johnson show that I'm, i do but we they would wake me up and they'd have you remember three words and so they'd be like they'd wake you up and they go what were the three words i told you to remember and i could always remember the first two because it was apple and banana and the third one was tube and i could never remember it but now i've never forgotten it i've never forgotten apple banana tube those are the three words they gave me <laughs> when I was overnight. But then the weird thing is when I got back to school, I went back to math class and I was in like algebra three and stuff like that. And I couldn't like remember anything. I would recognize them like I've done this equation before, but I can't decipher it. And then I would just oh. panic and I would have this panic in me. And I ended up doing some testing later and my math fluency had gone from like my high school level where I was at to then I had the math fluency of a fifth grader. Wow. Because I just couldn't put the pieces together anymore it was sure. like it the thinking was too abstract for me my brain had taken such a hit it couldn't put the pieces together and the one of the doctors theorized that my brain actually I even though I hit the back of my head the brain actually rocked so hard forward he thinks it may have actually damaged the front a little bit which is kind of the part that handles some of that complex like math stuff right. <laughs> holy shit that's it, frightening it, yeah, so it was weird, and it it was strange too because I I had no intention of going into comedy or going into anything arts. I was looking at becoming maybe like a, a radiologist at a hospital or something like that. I was just like, I don't know, I'll do something. I had no real thought. That though, that head injury completely changed like my perspective on life. And again, I'm a junior in high school, but it just made me go like, oh, I could fall and hit my head and die tomorrow. I need to 
pursue things I want to pursue and just give it a try. And that's, that's been kind of a guiding force throughout my life of just like, Oh, it can. So I'm not saying live a reckless life, but you know, do, do what you want to do. And it became this, I, like I said, I was going to go into radiology and decided like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to maybe take the chance and go do like theater and, and film and eventually comedy, like the stuff I wanted to try the stuff I was obsessed with my whole young life. I'd be like, I want to dabble in that. There's, there's time for jobs later. I'm like, I want to do this because I just fell and hit my head and it deleted my knowledge of math. That's such a weird that is, thing that I never thought would, never thought would happen in my life, you know? Sure. And, and I don't know. So that was just kind of, I, I, I try my best now to, and that was the same thing too. Like when I, then I got divorced was like, you know what? I needed to learn this. I needed to learn, you know, that the biggest thing I've learned like about relationships from that divorce, then my next one was just like, you know, if you get complacent and you're like, Oh, we're together forever. I don't really need to keep working. Well, means it's not going to be great. You know? And so now like I'm in a great relationship now. She's, she's at the absolute best, but in my head, I, I don't try to, you know, give her the title of like my soulmate or the, the love of my life, the one forever. I'm, I'm just like, you know what? She's just who I love being with right now. And as long as I keep that, the feeling we will be together forever you know, we will make it work because I will keep, you know, so that's, I've tried my best to keep that, that perspective. Like it can all be over tomorrow. Try your best to be happy today, which I know is such a vague thing to say, but like, I don't know. That's what came from though. Getting, getting my my brain whacked. Right. I mean, but is that a vague thing to say? I feel like that's an important thing to say. I'm, I'm in a similar boat. I am one of those, like, you don't know what the future holds and you don't want to get complacent type people. And it, it, it unnerves me how complacent some people are. They're just like, oh, my life sucks. Well, why don't you do something about it? Yeah, change something. You know, it, it's like I, I have I have so many friends who they'll be miserable in their job, and I just say, I'm like, quit your job. And I, I know that's and that sounds reductive. But Easier said people, than done, but I, but also yeah. these these friends are. I say it to these friends because they're the ones who like they have a lot of money saved away. They've been smart about it, and that's why they have this like good job and i'm like you actually now are in a position where you could kind of take a risk and you could make a little less money like yeah i can't i wouldn't say it to my friend who's like struggling with their bills i'm like ah, just quit your job you're fine instead it's like okay well let's let's find a better way to be with our money and this is going for me i never made a lot of money and then found myself broke and losing my mind trying to struggle to pay for my therapy that i was feeling so necessary and stuff like that and that for me was like a point of like okay i need to I need to change my life. And that was part of why I moved back to Iowa. I'm like, oh, everything's cheaper here. I can get out of my very expensive apartment, you know, and it's not very expensive, but more expensive than I needed in Chicago and be like, oh, I can come back here, you know, and you know, move in with my parents at first. And then, and now I, I live with my girlfriend. I was living with my parents when we met. So, you know, she's way too forgiving. <laughs> uh, she's way too nice. <laughs> Cause I was like, I came in that first date with some red flags. I'm like, Hey, I live, with, I live with my parents right now. I moved back because I'm broke. Okay. <laughs> you know, well, she had gone through, so she had gone through a, a, a bad breakup the year before. And it's, I don't know. We, we just felt comfortable with each other right away in that good way too. Not in the like, oh, this is fine. It was just like, a, oh, I, I, I genuinely feel comforted by you. And we kind of forget that's part of being comfortable is feeling comforted. I think a lot of us make comfortable as just like, oh, nothing big is going to happen right now. Right. It's kind of what we've turned the word comfortable to in life when really like, well, no, comfortable means you're comforted. <laughs> you actually feel good by your situation in life. Yeah. People have confused comfortable with complacent. Yes, that's a great way of putting it. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's, I don't know. It, it's 
a lot of people we we were so afraid to to make those changes in our life because because of what we you know think is comfort but is actually complacency but we we get so we get so scared because we are in our minds we're always like well it'll get worse then i'll i'll be i'll be broke and then we go through all of these worst case scenarios and that was why too i think why the last year for somebody like me who thinks that way i'm always thinking about worst case scenario always anxiety and i read this really interesting article i can't remember where it was but it said that sudden a lot of people with severe anxiety were feeling weirdly calm once the pandemic started because they spend all their time thinking about the worst case scenario and then it happened and then they just kind of went like oh well i'm still here though like the world is literally going through a collective catastrophe and oh i'm i'm actually alive and can still get you know for those that didn't get sick and all that stuff and yeah. it's like it kind of that was a big thing for me too was realizing like oh like the worst case scenario can still happen and guess what i have to deal with it just because you're stressing about the worst case scenario doesn't mean that when it happens like ah well game over then i guess right you don't just immediately crumple into a ball no. and like roll away yeah it doesn't the credits don't roll right you know then it's like well now i have to deal with this and that was kind of a you know a, a good growing moment too again i wish none of this had happened i wish i want to be sure. very clear yeah i know there were some people just like actually it was a good thing no it wasn't no this very nope. this is all very 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 bad yeah. And I'll be very clear about that. I'm just trying my best to find the the personal silver lining that I can <laughs> to make myself a a more, I don't know, I almost said a more useful human, but I don't like that wording, but a more, uh, you know, better at contributing to, you know, those around me, my community, my friends, my blah, 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 all that stuff that we <laughs> say, you know? And for me, you know, especially my, like I said, my girlfriend's a nurse, you know, I, it, it actually helped me throughout the year to be like, hey, you know what? I can at least make this nurse who's going through hell right now I can at least make her nights a little bit better. She can get home. I can hold her while she cries and I can pump her full of wine and because <laughs> that's what she wants. And I'm like, you know what? I've made one nurse's evening a little easier. That's in no way fighting on the front lines at all. But like it, it helped me feel like I had a little bit of purpose at least. Oh, yeah. To be like, you know what? I'm helping someone get through their day. That's something I can do. Because that's how I always felt comedy made me feel. So I was helping people get through their day. Well, I didn't have it anymore. So I found kind of an adjacent purpose, if you will. I'm all over the place. No, this is, this is, Logan, this is way more linear than you think it is. Oh, okay, good. Okay. <laughs> it's way more linear than you think it is. That, that's an awesome way to think. Just that, you know, you're helping at least one person get through a, a shitty situation. Yeah. You know, and, the, and then doing the substitute teaching actually helped too. Because then it's like, you know what? I mean, these kids got to get through school. And yeah. our our governor made us all go back in person because the governor of Iowa is a supervillain. And she literally said if anyone tried to do remote learning, she would make sure the year didn't count. And Holy I'm like, shit. I'm like, that, yeah, why even, why? Like, why is it, you know how that sounds, right? Coming out, you know, that makes you sound like the bad guy, right? But so, uh, you know, that was at least a job. You know, I I like teaching. I, I dabble with like, ah, would I want to do it more? And I don't know because I don't love all the, bureaucratic stuff that comes with teaching which is why most young teachers end up leaving sure. they don't like that part of it working with kids is great and especially to during all of this and the pandemic like it's so weird for them you know they were in masks all day and stuff like that and you got to get on them sometimes like hey, over your nose you know and stuff like that but it, you try your best to alleviate stress where you can <laughs> and stuff like that so like hey you know what i'm trying to make some kids days a little bit better you know i'm trying to help them you know be less stressed out about stuff so i don't know that's something i guess <laughs> you know? and you still got comedy and you still got the podcast and you still yeah. have all this other stuff that you do 
Yeah, you know, the, the podcast was interesting because we just kind of started it. I wasn't even it's the Josh Johnson show because you know, my friend Josh Johnson, he's a writer for the daily show and he's on Netflix and blah, blah, blah. He's doing better than me. Uh, but, <laughs> but he was just starting one and his manager was like trying to get him to start one. And I had, I had run other podcasts uh, that I used to do with my friends and stuff like that. And he was like, Hey, do you want to just help me get one started? And I was like, sure. And I just thought I was going to be kind of producing it and editing it for him maybe. And then he's like, well, he's like, do this first one with me. And then now I'm the co-host and I'm, I'm now one of the two people of the Josh Johnson show. Right. And so now like emails and, you know, messages from listeners get addressed to me and, or, you know, they're always like, Hey, Josh and Logan. So it's interesting now, like I wasn't expecting to be a part of this show really. And now it's like, not only am I a part of it, but it's been this weird, uh, this really great connection with people where people, people will email into the show just to say like, Hey, you guys have made the last year better for me we've had a lot of college students because like this year just sucked for them. They didn't get to have the college experience. And they're like, Hey, I'm just trapped in a dorm room or wherever, you know, all year. And this podcast really, really helped. And, and now that things are opening back up a little bit, you know, Josh and I've, I've gone to, I saw him in, in Minneapolis. I went to hang out with him. And then like, this was the greatest moment. This girl comes up and she just says to Josh, she's like, she's like, I'm a really big fan of your podcast. And then he just turns to go, Oh, this is actually Logan. And she looked at me and she went, Oh my God. And then, <laughs> And then wanted a picture with us. And I'm like, I didn't even work tonight. I'm like, this is great. This is really right. If, if, if my fame goes no further than this, someone wanting their picture with me after I didn't do anything a tonight, thing. that's a pretty good feeling. That was a good, that was a, that boosted my ego for that. I'm going to ride that for the rest of the year. <laughs> like that was, that was great. And then we met some people when I was in New York for a special, we did some shows and got to meet some other fans too. And people who were just like, I love the show. I love what you guys do. And that it's not why you're doing it necessarily you I, I mean i want to make people laugh and i want to make people feel comforted and stuff but when people actually come up to you and say like hey you comforted me with your silliness it's i don't know i i don't know how to like i, I literally almost got choked up for a second there because it's, it's i don't know it's an overwhelming thing to think like just me being silly and talking about nonsense can can turn around someone's day and that that's the stuff in comedy that overwhelms me sometimes and it's easy to lose sight of but sometimes sometimes you are you are making someone laugh when they desperately needed a laugh oh yeah and laughing is one of the most one of the most important things it's so cathartic like it's such a it's a drug you know <laughs> as you laugh you feel it's therapeutic good. yeah yeah and laughter is universal when people laugh at something we all we all know what that means that, that's the one thing across every culture across every divide if you see someone laughing you know they're experiencing joy. You know what that feeling is. You know exactly what it feels like to laugh very, very hard. You know, so that I don't know. I'm maybe I'm getting a little too esoteric now, but no. that's like, but that's the beautiful thing about about comedy, and that's why I always tell people too. I'm like, I I think silliness is important. Silliness is very, I you know, a lot of comedians like to be like, you know, you got to speak truth to power, and you know, we're modern day philosophers, and all that stuff can be true. You don't have to do it if you can be hilarious while speaking truth to power while being you know taking you know talking about society's ills then great that's where you're carlin that's where you're you, you know you're prior that's where you're the the greatest who've ever done it you know are the ones who then can be silly but also talk about things me i don't quite have that perspective so i you know i focus on what i can do and sometimes it's silliness. And this is a dark story, but I've told it as a joke too. And this goes, I think, with everything we've been talking about. But nonsense has like saved my life 
I there was a night where when I was in my really rough period a few years ago, uh, I had a night where I was like I decided I was going to kill myself. So sorry for dropping that on you. This is heavy. This is the show. It's all good. I know. I know. I know. I, I figured. I figured for what this show was, I'm like, well, he can handle some of the dark stories. I can so we'll roll. Do, with we'll, it. Do, <laughs> we'll do this because I'm not an expert and I don't have much for advice. I can just tell you what my experiences have been and how I pulled through them. So that's, I don't want to ever come in and be like, well, this is how you really find the key to happiness. I don't right. fucking know what it is. <laughs> I've stumbled into my happiness, you know? I always told my brother when I was going through my stuff and like you'd watch TED Talks and it's people giving these talks, but it's always like, it's after they overcame everything and became a nationally touring speaker. I'm like, I want the TED Talk of the guy who's going through it right now. Yeah. That's what I want. I want the guy yeah. on stage who's like, I just feel terrible all the time and I don't know what to do about it but I'm here, I guess. Like, that's what I always want. <laughs> Same. I always want that. Like, it's so easy after the fact to be like, well, here's how you really pull yourself up and get together. And now look at me. Now I have an empire. And it's like, that's not how, that's not how it goes. That's not, I mean, for 98% of us, that's not how, how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I had this moment where, like I said, I was, I was feeling like I was going to kill myself. And I, I was like, I think I'm going to hang myself. And I was like, where am I going to do it? Cause this is a weird thing that, this is this is a dark joke but this has always been funny to me but just because i've been there it's weird when you're kind of a big guy and you have to think about how you're going to hang yourself because not everything can hold you and that's a weird thing because you can't look at a light fixture you'd be like well that's just a broken light fixture is all that's going to be that's just a hurt neck and a thing i gotta buy that's all that is you know again very dark but that's always been funny to me but again i've been there and i'm not trying to reduce it by the way i don't want anyone to think i'm i'm making fun of suicide or anything no. this is this is how logan copes but I then found kind of where I was going to do it. For some reason, finding that broke me. And I just sat down and I started crying so hard. Hardest I ever cried in my life. So much water coming out of my eyes. And I had my hands uh, over my eyes and I could feel the tears streaming down my arm. And then I moved my arm away and the tears had streamed down my arm onto my, my pants. And I saw the shape that the tear stains had made. And I just thought, huh, that looks like a dick. <laughs> and it was, it was a little cock and balls. I have a picture of it somewhere. Too. <laughs> I took a picture. And I, but I started laughing so incredibly hard. I start, I went from my lowest place ever to just laughing hysterically. It was so funny because it, it was the juxtaposition of being at that place and then coming back. It was the, it was the roller coaster, right? And I started laughing at it. And that was, that was the last time I, you know, as of right now in my life that I, I've had that thought of like wanting to end it. Cause for some reason in that moment to be like, oh yeah, I like silliness. And even in this moment, even in this darkest place, the, the place where I was, I was deciding I was done. There was still something very silly that made me laugh. And I don't know. I know that it's, it's kind of a grim story. It's, it's, it's definitely a ride. But to me, that that was like, that was such a huge, I would like, that's a formative moment in my life, actually, especially in my adult life, to just be like, there's always going to be something silly, even in the darkest place darkest ever, there's going to be that silliness. So I'll tell that joke. I've told that joke on stage sometimes and I end it with, I'm like, that's why I just want to be very clear that stupid jokes are worth it because I'm living proof that dick jokes save lives. <laughs> and, you know. <laughs> 
it's silliness is important. I know it's nonsense, but it's important. You know, so I don't know if I, I stuck the landing on the point I wanted to make there, but it was you just, did. Uh, okay, good. <laughs> Sorry, you I'm did. being so insecure about. No, I don't, I don't like that's the problem with a show like this where I'm supposed to come on and, you know, maybe have a point And I, I just don't see myself as an authority figure, which is also great that I'm a teacher right now. So that's. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, my whole thing with this is that I don't like I don't want to talk to authority figures. It's funny, like the right. shows that I've done that I felt were the least impactful where I was talking to like life coaches and shit like that. Right. Like talking to people who live life and go through stuff and have ups and downs the same way I have ups and downs, the same way I assume people who are listening to this have ups and downs like that humanizes all this shit as opposed to talking to like, you know, the guy giving a Ted talk going, I've been through this and right. now I like that doesn't mean shit to me. I want to know what it's like to be in the situation we're all in now. Right. Um, you know, no, I, there's I, no guarantee that we're all going to be giving that TED talk someday. No, no. And, and in fact, most of us won't. In fact, right. a lot of us might get to the end of our life and be like, you know, I just I made it. And that's fucking good enough. You know, right. <laughs> like, that's my how, how we feel. And that's on, that's not a bad feeling to have. Like we all I think that's where we have this. I love that there's more and more talk about, you know, self-care and mental health awareness. And like, we're, we're finally being more open about that than we ever have been in previous generations. Like people don't realize just even, you know, I was talking about growing up in the nineties. It was like, we did not talk about it. Depression was not a real thing. Yep. You know, anxiety, anxiety was not a real thing. You know, with ADD wasn't even diagnosed or anything. Like, you know, we didn't have these, these things that affect our brains. We just, we didn't even want to admit they were real. And now like, we're actually starting to be more aware of them. We're starting to be better about treating them. We're still way behind therapy is way too expensive antidepressants are way too expensive these are these are things that can save lives and they're they're so minuscule and it's it's yeah. frustrating it was it was frustrating dealing with insurance and going broke trying to pay for therapy when it was the only thing that i was feeling like was leveling me out at a point because i didn't know how to manage myself and so i've that's the other thing in my journey i've come to just truly hate uh, the medical industry, and the, the insurance industry, which I already had a healthy hate for, but you know, uh. being with them. One of the un interesting things though that's coming from that, from being more open about you know these self-awareness journeys and all this stuff like that is, and we have the glib side of it too, which is the, here's just the mantras you can say, oh, you know, cause I remember having friends where I'd be like, I'm just having a really tough time. And, and you know, some like, well, you know, just, you know, meditate and drink some water. I'm like, fuck <laughs> off. Yeah, that's gonna do it. That's gonna do it. That's gonna, but it's cause that those are the talking points they've kind of gathered now. And and I know a lot of people who, uh, you know, who are artists or whatever, and I know they are depressed and dealing with their stuff, but then they, their, their public thing is how, it's always, you know, I'm working on myself and it's always these, you know, these great moms, this is what you have to do to find happiness. And all. But then I know they're not happy and that's fine. They don't need to be happy, but everyone wants to put up the front of I'm listen, I'm your guru and I'm going to tell you how to, how to get to the tough times. And then when I'm done doing that, I'm going to go just, just cry the hardest. And, but I'm not going to talk about that. I'm not going to talk about that. Right. When it's like, to me, it felt more useful to just be like, yeah, here's here's bad stuff I went through. Doing better now. Might do bad again. I don't know. All I can do is tell you what got me through those moments. And they're not going to work for you. But, you know, all of them. But, you know, the bad moments come and go. You're never done killing. You're never done bombing. You know, it kind of all comes back to that. That's where it, it's, you're you're never done feeling amazing. You're never done feeling like, you've lost everything because there's going to be those moments in life that do both. 
And that's what life is. It's just alternating both of those things. And no matter how much you want to feel like you have it together, or no matter how hopeless you feel, you're going to feel the other way at some point, <laughs> you know? I love it. And that is a pretty powerful story to end this week's episode. Logan Nielsen, everybody. Give him a round of applause. And uh, thank you so much, Logan, for being so honest and open and sharing your story with us. Uh, The Josh Johnson Podcast, once again, available everywhere. The Logan Brothers Podcast, the Nielsen Brothers Podcast, the Nielsen Brothers Podcast. See what happens when you have two last names? The Nielsen Brothers Podcast is also available everywhere, and you can find Logan on Instagram at Logan M. Nielsen. Uh, Thanks again to Logan for uh, being a part of this, and thanks to you all for listening. Thanks so much for listening to the Detoxicity Podcast. I really appreciate it. Feel free to rate, comment, or subscribe, and subscribe, and or whichever. If you have any feedback about detoxicity or you'd like to recommend a future guest or you would like to be on an episode yourself, please reach out to me on Instagram at DetoxPodGuy. I'm also on Twitter at TizMikeJoseph and I can be reached via email, DetoxPod at gmail.com. Big thanks, as always, to Calvin Williams who composed the music that you hear at the beginning and ending of the podcast, to Jacob Block for the Detoxicity logo, and to Andrew Grossman and Jeff Giles for inspiring the theme of this podcast. Take care, everybody.